welcome to Consumer Choice Radio Broadcasting on Saga 960 AM and on the Big Talker Network. I'm one half of your host, E.I.L. Ososki. Doing well today, flying solo. I uh, don't mean to dox David, but he's out here for the next uh, week or two, uh, welcoming new life into the Clement household. So uh, definitely he'll give us the, the story there. I know there's a lot of interesting things that he'll probably mention about the Ontario healthcare system and uh, much more, so that'll be fun when he gets back. Uh, <laughs> David will definitely have some, some tales to tell. And uh, later in the program, we're going to have our colleague Bill Vietz on. Bill is the host of the Consumer Podcast, uh, so he covers a lot of the consumer choice topics from a European perspective, and we talk about uh, privacy, we talk about password managers, we talk about your security online, different products that you can use to keep yourself safe, and uh, just some, some different examples about why that is important and why you would want to have privacy, why you would want to have online security, and much more. So some great stuff coming with Bill. Again, thank you guys for listening. You can always subscribe to the podcast version of this program put together without ads uh, over there on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com or download the podcasting 2.0 uh, version on apps like Fountain or let's imagine Breeze or Castomatic. Uh, there's all types of uh, different ones over there on NewPodcastApps.com. You can get that and get all the additional features. So I wanted to go through a couple of topics here uh, since I have you here on Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, there's been a lot that's been happening. The Inflation Reduction Act has been signed into law in the United States, uh, something that uh, will do absolutely everything to reduce inflation, right? Probably wrong. Uh, there's a lot uh, that's going on in the bill. Uh, I know that we talked about it last week. Uh, we talked about how the different uh, sort of tax credits that you can get from installing solar panels or you know buying an electric car. Uh, this is probably going to create more inflation, but it will apparently get us closer to those climate goals. Uh, so that's something that is very important for the Democratic administration and something that they're very proud about. And um, you know, is it going to help inflation? Probably not. Uh, there's there's a great article um, that uh, my former colleague. Eric Baim uh, put together at Reason.com uh, that actually goes point by point through the bill and looks at uh, different aspects of it, whether it actually would reduce inflation and, and all the rest. I mean, there's um, there's too much in this bill to really go through just on this program, but realistically, this is the kind of the you know what U.S. citizens are facing is there's a large omnibus bill you know packed with all kinds of different things in there that maybe I'll only learn about later, or there's just far too complex for the ordinary person to understand, uh, particularly one specific, um, let's say, note or program that you, you hear on the radio or that you'll have on your television station or even can read about in the paper. So a lot of that stuff that's there. And you will see what it actually does. Inflation numbers are trickling back in. Um, we saw the United Kingdom over 10% inflation at this point. Uh, that is definitely hurting a lot of the Brits. And the British pound has been taking a slamming recently. So definitely not good for the citizens of the United Kingdom or subjects. Sorry about that. And, you know, looking at Canada, we don't have any large uh, sort of packages that are being passed. There's definitely a lot of issues with the healthcare system. Then obviously when David is back, you know, in a couple of weeks, we can talk about that a lot. But, you know, surely... The money that has been put into the system, the money that is in the system, the administration, the bureaucracy, uh, there's a lot of things that are getting lost, and there, there's a lot of patients that aren't getting seen. 
and you know the entire idea of introducing competition or as people would say uh, privatization always seemed as a bad term uh, but you know there are plenty of other systems especially across Europe that you can actually have private competition within a public system it actually works quite well and you are able to you know have better outcomes uh, we see that in Sweden we see that in Switzerland uh, in Austria where I am now many other countries particularly the Netherlands uh, there is competition even within the public system that does allow incentives to rise up uh, it actually allows for for greater options for innovation um, kind of interesting you probably won't hear about that in Canada because Whenever you talk about private uh, care, that's definitely something that people don't like, uh, don't like it introduced. Uh, there are some provinces that do have some measures of private health care, uh, but otherwise, you know, it's not happening too much. Another thing I wanted to mention, there's an article by our colleague Elizabeth Hicks. This one is in the Detroit News. And Liz has been great. Uh, recently, she's been covering the municipal broadband debate, uh, something that David and I have talked about in the past, and is coming to Michigan very soon. There's a, a specific Detroit project uh, to make it so that the city of Detroit would have its own municipal internet service provider. So some of you might be using uh, Bell Canada. If you're in Canada, or you might be using Comcast or something in the U.S. Um, in Detroit, they will have an option that is the city of Detroit internet. And there are many arguments made about how this would be better, it would be much cheaper, uh, but again, that comes at a significant cost to the taxpayers. There's a bill uh, that Joe Biden signed in the Infrastructure Act you know, that, that basically promised about $100 billion for municipal broadband across the entire country. They said it's mostly for the rural areas, but we know that if Detroit has 900 mil that they're dropping into a municipal plan, uh, that actually there's uh, plenty of money that's being sloshed around. And the more problematic aspect of all of this, as our colleague uh, Elizabeth writes, is that taxpayers essentially are on the hook at the very end. Because you need to have network upgrades, you need to change the cables every now and then. If there's a storm and you know some things get messed up, you need to send out a crew, you need to maintain it, you have to build out entirely new sites. Uh, that is not just a one-time payment. It's a long-term commitment. You know, that's why we usually prefer to have private actors and companies that offer us these services because they have the incentives to continually maintain and build, and they have the funding to do so. In a municipal system, it is the opposite. It is this uh, sort of go back to the voters, go back to the taxpayers, ask for more money, or in the worst circumstances, get a municipal bond going. So the municipality will go into debt. Uh, hopefully the market or the uh, citizens will pay that off, will invest for a little bit of return, and they pay more interest. You know, this is not necessarily something that's needed because there is competition and there are other providers in these certain areas. And specific to Detroit, Liz mentions, there's 97% coverage uh, that is in Detroit. So 97% of the city has uh, high-quality, high-speed broadband so they would be spending $900 million to cover that 3%. And this is a, another argument, you know, about what exactly the priority should be for a municipality. Is your municipality there to provide you garbage services and sewage services and water services? Or are they there to serve you internet? You know, there are certain things that are public utilities that we uh, have accepted 
you know, socially that will be managed or run by certain government entities, or perhaps they are private and out to competition. Uh, but something like internet doesn't have to be. There is no monopoly there. There shouldn't be a monopoly there. And we have all the opportunities to have an open and flowing market when it comes to internet service providers, same as cell towers. Um, this is an argument that will be coming up more in Canada uh, as the CRTC hopefully is reformed and will allow more competition into the country instead of just the, the main sort of uh, oligopoly, uh, three or four cell providers, internet providers. You know, if we can have open competition, that means we can have lower cost, we can have way more investment and innovation, and perhaps there could be some something great, something like Starlink uh, that people would have, or maybe there would be another version. You know, this is kind of what is crowded out in the system in which people are not able to invest and innovate. And when there is a government agency that holds a monopoly, uh, we're not able to do so. So that's something that is, is quite problematic for a lot of the people in Detroit. We'll definitely be writing about this uh, a lot more. Our colleague Elizabeth Hicks will have her on uh, very soon to talk about that and some of the other municipal broadband projects that are popping up across the country. Uh, there is a good amount. Um, in other news, uh, there's, um, there's something going on with climate change, folks. I'm sure you might have seen a show or a movie recently. Uh, I recently watched the Apple uh, TV series, uh, Suspicion. Um, so those of you who have Apple TV, so if you bought an iPhone or something recently, normally they give you about a year for free. And in this program, um, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> there's this entire, you know, kidnapping plot and all the, you know, the convoluted stuff, police chases, and it comes down to a simple thing like climate change. Um, you know, they, they took this great story and, and kind of rattle it down to that. And that's how a lot of things are kind of being inserted now. You know, there are a lot of concerns about the climate, about the environment and what we can do, what are the solutions. Uh, but, you know, things cannot be solved just by the courts. And uh, that is an article that I wrote recently in the Washington Examiner. Uh, this has to do with the different settlements or lawsuits that are being launched by state attorneys general. So you'll have your attorney general of uh, California or Vermont or Maine, and they will sue, you know, Exxon, Shell, whatever oil company and say, hey, look, uh, it is because of you that we have uh, the climate change uh, right now. It's because of your emissions. And you, we see this uh, sort of being delegated in state courts. So in my view, that's a bit problematic because, you know, energy policies, these are larger national questions. And these are things that can be solved in a federal court where, you know, you have appointees, you don't just have the sort of California uh, contingent that you always know that they're going to come on the side of, you know, whomever is, is suing, you know, a, a company. Uh, if you can actually have, you know, a better uh, sort of more just system that would be in the federal court system, uh, we're seeing that a lot more with many of these lawsuits. Uh, so that's an article I wrote up on the Washington Examiner. The energy question is a big one. Um, obviously, on the European continent, the entire cost of energy is really what's causing a lot of the inflation stuff, not to mention you know, the money printing and buying of debt. But particularly when it comes to energy costs, this is something that people are really hurting from. And if you're on a limited income and your disposable income is disappearing every month because gas prices have gone up and then your energy bills have gone up uh, sometimes two or three times, that cuts into your budget to feed your family to try to save money, to send your kids to school, uh, to take trips, whatever it might be. These are the things that actually matter and can harm ordinary consumers. And that's why it's not necessarily the time to 
uh, you know, try to limit uh, our energy resources or the energies that we can use, it's the time to expand them. It's the time to responsibly invest, have competition, allow people to use different energy products and sources, wherever they might be. Uh, this is vital for figuring out what our energy future will be. Because our friends here on the European continent don't have much, many of those options. And they're firing up coal plants because they said no to nuclear. And because they've been so reliant on Russia, they have to look elsewhere for a lot of their products. Is the United States ready to export? Well, not with Joe Biden as president, not necessarily. Is Canada ready to export? Well, not necessarily, not with Justin uh, Trudeau as prime minister. So there's uh, all kinds of limitations that are being put into the system from political actors and from politics. And this is exactly the moment when we need to have diverse energy sources, we need to have energy competition. You know, it's not to say everything will be oil or everything will be gas. Some things will be wind or wave or, you know, who knows, natural gas. We don't, we don't really know what the answer will be. What we do know is that people need it now because there's an energy crunch. And when winter comes, it'll be much colder out. We're not going to have as many options to heat our homes. It's going to be even more of a concern. Because if we're having to spend even more and more of our money just to heat our homes or to run devices or uh, just trying to live comfortably, that's going to take away from other parts of our life. And for us who are in liberal democracies, you know, the ability to have um, a, a safe and secure democratic system allows you to economically thrive, to be able to, to buy certain things or to enjoy certain services that make your life better and the, the lives of your family members better. And if we have to use more and more of our income on things like housing, which is a huge problem, or energy, that means there's less available. And that's problematic So for many aspects and many different people. Um, hopefully there, there will be more innovation. There will be a lot more investment. Uh, we'll see how it goes because uh, realistically, politics is holding up a lot of stuff. It's not really a partisan point. It's just about allowing competition, allowing things to open up, allowing people to have those different energy sources. If we don't have that, then our, essentially our disposable income is just whittling down, added with inflation at the end of the day. So we're going to be back here on Consumer Choice Radio. We're going to have our colleague Bill Vietz, host of the Consumer Podcast. We're going to talk everything security and privacy online. Stay tuned. Consumer Choice Radio. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. I promised you guys something a little nice here for second and third segments uh, coming to you back uh, after the break here. Again, uh, I wanted to bring in our colleague Bill Vietz. Bill is the host of the Consumer Podcast. That is Consumer with the EU in the middle. Uh, one of the uh, most, I would say, prolific writers on uh, many different topics across the European Union and also in the States. Uh, Bill, thanks for coming back on the program. And uh, Thanks so much for having me. So there's a couple things I want to get to. Obviously, I uh, already doxed David uh, with uh, why he's out for the week. Uh, he is, unlike many of our generation, welcoming new life. Uh, <laughs> had to get in that uh, little plug. Um, I wanted to talk to you about a, a couple of things, and I know we were talking about it uh, before we started recording, and I figured it'd be of interest to many people listening, both on the podcast version uh, that you guys might have there or on the radio itself. 
And we want to talk about sort of uh, privacy, private lives, security. And I think you brought up a very good intro point. And it has to do with the private life of the Finnish prime minister. Uh, (laughs) Big topic on Twitter. Yeah. If you could uh, explain it as uh, you sound much more European than than myself, uh, can you tell us the background of this and, and why you think this is coming up at this particular moment? So this is Sanna Marin. She's the Prime Minister of Finland, and she um, is the issue of a lot of conversation now on Twitter because uh, she there was leaked videos, at least that's how it's described, um, of her partying uh, on the weekend and having a good time with uh, what appears to be uh, a group of friends at a home party. Um, and she does seem to have be to to have quite a good time. Uh, probably had a few drinks in, and uh, she's already been spotted going to festivals. I think she's only thirty five. I'm not entirely sure about that number, uh, but so she's quite young. She's probably the youngest prime minister that Finland's ever had, and um, so yeah, she's doing the things that uh, you uh, still do in your thirties, and uh, that has caused a lot of conversation. Of course, the Russian bots on Twitter are not very. Uh, happy about that and uh, they don't like uh, enthusiastic looking uh, prime ministers especially those of countries that just joined NATO and so they are using that to say that she's not serious and she can't possibly be governing a country but because to govern a country you need to be old and boring and senile apparently so uh, so yeah that's a lot of of conversation there and um, yeah I don't know exactly the origin of that video I do assume that Finland also does have its conservative opposition and probably like the type of tabloids that would try and get their hands on these videos. Um, so obviously, as a politician, you're subject to a lot of that, uh, a lot of that stuff. Yeah, and uh, we've seen similar things from the Russian bots, um, not necessarily in creating or getting that video, but at least in propagating and elevating it. And a lot of fake news. I know there was a lot around the, the Estonian prime minister, uh, Kasia Kalas, uh, about whether or not she was resigning, and there's all kinds of Russian bots and all this stuff. So they're still trying to mess with Estonia, which, uh, you know, if you've seen Berlin Station Season 3, you know what that's all about. Uh, but uh, Santa Marin, this is, uh, yeah, Finnish Prime Minister. You got the NATO stuff that's happening. Obviously, the war in Ukraine uh, caused by the Russians. All kinds of stuff that are, really, they're trying to paint her in the worst light possible, but you know, the point that I made, and I'm sure you, you feel the same. She just looks way cooler now and more awesome. She does. She do- I think it's really gotten given her a lot of credit for just, you know, being in touch with what people like to do on the weekend. I just don't, I don't quite get the whole, the whole uproar. And, and it's, and it's quite interesting. Obviously, this comes at the time when Finland and Estonia have uh, uh, both argued for a complete ban on visas uh, for Russian citizens to be able to visit the Schengen area. So obviously, they're upset about that. Yeah, that's a big one. And I believe in her defense, uh, this is a, it was first published by a tabloid newspaper, as you mentioned, and her response, quote, I was dancing, singing, partying, hugging my friends, doing totally legal things. That I'd say absolutely and yes, and let's keep it that way, because there's plenty of other things they want to ban. That is Consumer Choice Radio. Okay, Bill, so why, <laughs> why to bring that up? You know, obviously, she has a video of her friends partying. Somehow it got out. Either, you know, they shared it in a WhatsApp group, somebody sent it out, some journalist got a hold of it, and her privacy uh, of her partying was kind of demolished. And it, it got me thinking about all the other privacy things that, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a uh, leader, uh, some sort of public leader, if you're a politician, there's ordinary people who are out there. And, you know, there are some things that you might want to selectively keep to yourself. And privacy is something that 
on, in the internet age, you know, at first we were all using NIM accounts. You know, we all had Yahoo's or Hotmail's with, you know, sexy baby 89 or, you know, I just, I, I just revealed mine, but we had all kinds <laughs> of, we had this kind of sort of, you know, pseudonym culture on the internet. And then with many large social media networks, everything's gravitated to our real names, emails, phone numbers, and I wanted to go through some tools and some tips uh, for privacy online. I think it's it's very important, and there's all kinds of things that you have at your disposal, um, many of which are free, in which you can protect yourself. Uh, and I guess the the why is a big deal here. Why do you want privacy? Well, it's just about how much you want to reveal to the world about yourself. I mean, there are plenty of circumstances of uh, leaked data leaks that come out and reveal your address, they reveal your password or your bank details, and people are able to either log in or do something with that, or especially on email, you'll get these phishing attempts where someone fakes you and sends you an obviously fake Amazon email, you know, trying to get your passwords. They can go and use your card and buy a bunch of junk that they send to your house. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons for that. I don't um, How actively do you think about privacy nowadays, Bill, in your day-to-day well, I think especially on the bank details stuff, because I mean, that is that is a bit older, you know, for your card details to be uh, leaked or copied by a person who might be taking your, your, your credit card somewhere. I, my general rule is whatever the bank is offering as security, as additional, whatever, two-factor OTPs, I use them because I'm thinking, okay, the 30 seconds, it'll take me longer to order something online. I can deal with those if I don't ever have to deal with hours of trying to get my money back from a credit card company or a bank or so. One. Um, so I think that's already a good thing. I know that. Um, so my so the banks in Luxembourg still use an, uh, an OTP system, an old OTP system, where you actually have a token on your keychain where that you need to press. Uh, of course, that is very secure uh, because I mean about ninety percent of the things that I would buy online, I would need my OTP in order to buy. So that those are protection things that work really well. Um, and then, of course, I think in general with your information is like, what do you want to reveal? Which website is it safe? It's always good to think about that. Where is it safe to add all your info? Yeah, and I, I started thinking about this a lot more. Um, I think it was about two years ago or so. We had a huge breach of the credit scores and credit information of essentially about 150 million Americans uh, there were different leaks and hacks uh, that took place at Experian and TransUnion, which are the large private credit reporting agencies in the United States. And it was tied uh, fairly easily to the Chinese military. And they have their own, you know, little hacking center, you know, their little brigade uh, where they sit around computers, you know, on VPNs and doing a bunch of stuff. And that's where, you know, really, when you think about the different threat models that people face, I think most of the time they're not afraid of the Chinese Communist Party. You know, unless you're a dissident, you know, living in, uh, let's say, London or you're living in Miami, you know, you're not really going to care about the CCP. Uh, But actually, realistically, if you're an individual person, you happen to be living in the US, Canada, Europe, most of the time it's scammers. It's people who are going to try to steal your account, make purchases, get money from your account, uh, skim your card whenever you go to the ATM. There's all these sort of individual threat vectors uh, that we face that aren't necessarily huge nation states or, you know, huge malicious actors. It's normally the, you know, Nigerian prince scam online and uh, identity theft, actually. Identity theft is a huge thing, huge industry. Uh, So a couple of um, 
tools that I wanted to discuss because I think they're very interesting. Uh, obviously, the U.S. is a special case just because we have like a super open credit system and market that is uh, unbelievable for many Europeans at times. Uh, but you know, when we're trying to sign up for different credit reports or some kind of credit card, you know, that's what they're gauging. They're looking at your credit history. They're seeing previous addresses. They're seeing uh, your previous bills, what your debts are, if you've paid off on those debts, how many payments you've made. You know, there is this profile that has been built. And oftentimes people are using the same email address or same password to log in for all these financial products. So all that ha has to happen once is you're in a some kind of data leak or some kind of hack, and that information's out there, and people have your username and password, and they can log in and maybe change some stuff, maybe change things over, and who knows, buy a couple things online. Exactly, and I think now with, uh, I think that's where, what we're going uh, with here is, is explaining to people the importance of password uh, managers, why are those tools useful, and maybe you can bring some names up for those i don't i don't know if there's any free tools but um in, in the paid tools it's 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 really it's it's a good investment um because well it generates passwords that are complicated and very difficult to crack and also the tools are sort of made for the lazy people that don't want to have to deal with you know uh, typing these in each time you just copy paste it and use those tools very interactively in many of the browsers that you might be using so that is really something important and if you develop a structure that you do, you sign up to a new uh, account uh, just doing it with a password manager first time and then it's then it's then it's safe and stored everywhere because even your easy passwords you're using right now you might be forgetting them yeah and i think a lot of let's say older people anybody who's over let's say 50 um, what they'll usually have is a big old thick book that they put beside the telephone that says passwords <laughs> that uh, sort of anyone could pick up again that has to assume that somebody breaks into your house and gets that book at some point uh, but it also could be your kids, you know, who get that book and log on, buy something, uh, ship something that they shouldn't have, whatever it might be. Uh, but yeah, password managers are incredibly important. Uh, thankfully, there are many that are free. Um, there are some that I would recommend. Uh, one that is open source, used a good amount, is Keep Pass. Keep Pass. You can just kind of put that in your DuckDuckGo, and you'll see that there. Uh, this is one of the most commonly used password managers. It works like all the others. You have one long password that you remember and you open up uh, this application and you have all the different passwords on different accounts and you can generate a brand new random password with all kinds of, of digits. You can have exclamation points, question marks, period, hashtag, all kinds of stuff. And essentially by keeping all those accounts separate, you know that the next time that there is some data breach you know, on your uh, let's say it's your Amazon account or whatever it might be, they're not going to be able to also know what your login details are for your bank, for your credit card, or whatever else. Uh, there's also 1Password, uh, the actual number one, and Bitwarden. Uh, these are kind of great um, password managing tools. And there's all kinds of different software that you can get within those. You can generate usernames as well. You can generate the passwords. You can have the uh, OTP, that two-factor authentication, actually run through the app itself which I think is really handy. Not everybody uses Google Authenticator or the text message thing. Uh, but I think this stuff is, is really important and is getting more important. Uh, one website I would offer, Bill, I'm sure you've done this, but it's haveibeenpwned.com. If you've been on this site, you, might, you probably have. I, 
I, I don't think so, actually. What is this? All right, so it's Have I Been Pwned? Have I Been P-W-N-E-D.com. And what you'll do is you'll enter your email or your phone number, and you'll see on this, it will generate a report that shows all the different data breaches that have been publicly available, how many times that your email or phone number has been linked to those. So when there was a data breach of Twitter accounts, or there's a data breach on Facebook, or there's a MySpace thing, or ordering apps, and particularly food apps, there's all kinds of these things that happen. So you can enter your email and you can see, oh, looks like my uh, email and password were involved in the, I don't know, Under Armour app breach of 2019. Uh, so usually you can see how many times your email has gone out there. You can go in and change your password uh, as quickly as you can, and then you can stay safe for the future. And they have monitoring as well, so you're informed uh, when your email has been leaked. And uh, considering that I've had my email for a long time, probably the same for most of you, uh, I'm sure that your <laughs> I'm sure that your your email has ended up on a couple of lists. I was actually curious on the question of passwords. How do you feel about keeping your passwords saved in your browser? All browsers do offer this right now. It's very convenient to just do double click and then you're logged in. Is that a safe thing to do, you think? Ooh, that's a very good question, Bill. I think it depends on your browser and it depends on how often you're deleting your cookies and everything else. I don't see too much of a problem if you're the only person who can access your computer and you have a password. I think that's good. Uh, otherwise, I would be a bit reluctant to do that. But, you know, we can talk about that a little bit more right here on Consumer Choice Radio. We'll be right back after this break. we got Bill Vietz on the line. Stay tuned. And welcome back to Consumer Choice Radio. Uh, we're talking with our colleague Bill Vietz, host of the Consumer Podcast, Senior Policy Analyst at the Consumer Choice Center, you can read plenty of Bill's articles online. He is a very Googleable fellow. And Bill, right before the break, we were talking about uh, you know password managers. You had asked me about saving your passwords in the browser. Um, again, it's really going to depend. Obviously, if you are using just the the standard Microsoft Edge or Internet Explorer, God help you. Uh, it's probably not something I would do. The, there's plenty of vulnerabilities, particularly when it comes to these older Microsoft products. So I'm, I'm very reluctant. I would prefer to use in a better open source browser, something like Brave or Firefox. Actually, Firefox is very strong. They've been around for a very long time. Uh, they do have protections. Um, yeah, I, I won't put all of the passwords there, particularly the, pa the password to the password manager, <laughs> the assistant to the regional manager. You don't want to put the password there anywhere on the browser. All it takes is somebody you know at your computer is able to get a hold of that. In any way, they can access everything. So, uh, yeah. Did you use the uh, Have I Been Pwned? Uh, yes, during the break, I did take the time to look into it. First of all, I do think it's interesting that on that website, 1Password actually does advertise. So I think that's that's kind of cool. I mean, uh, it could be owned by them, to be honest. I don't know. Uh, might, might as be, well. I don't know. Might as well be. Um, I, have, uh, I have four breaches. Um, fortunately, my bank account details are none of those because these are sort of Websites, uh, well, I mean, so there's Canva, Canva in 2019. So that's a website you can use to do graphics design for social media, to just do something for like a, a blog and so on. So I did use that. I have an account there and that was breached. I had the same. I also had that. 
So it's email addresses, geographic locations, names, passwords, and usernames. And that's actually the same for all of the four. It's just email addresses, names, and usernames that were that were leaked. Um, the others actually, there's, there's, a, there's a PDF service I don't even remember using. Uh, sometimes that's interesting as well, is that, you know, you're trying to open a document and then it suggests a software to you to do it and you'd quickly sign up with like Google and then and then you're in their system. And there's, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of sites that people have accounts with um, that they wouldn't even be aware of that they have accounts with because they did it a long time ago in the past and they never delete those things. Oh, yeah, I think that that happens all the time. Um, basically now when you sign up for any service, you know, this is the kind of thing is it's free, it's free. Just sign up with your email. Uh, they take that data, they will sell it to different data brokers and that information is passed on and passed on. Uh, sometimes at some point, I mean, we've had this with a lot of the crypto companies, particularly the last six months or so, a lot of the exchanges, they've had leaks of, uh, usernames, uh, sometimes passwords, but why those were able to get out there had to do with the mailing service. So in, often it was the IP address, the country, and uh, email. And uh, it was just because something like you know MailChimp or one of these mail services got some hack. Uh, the, the one that we had, the big one, uh, was Twilo. And that's a very big deal. That is actually, uh, it's used for two-factor authentication for many different services. Uh, you know, if you go on Twitter and you put your two-factor authentication is your cell phone number, uh, they actually used Twilo as the back end for that service, and somehow somebody was able to get access to uh, both the phone numbers and account numbers um, and account names for all of that. Uh, it was a fairly big one. I haven't seen too much reported about it, which is kind of insane. I think this stuff usually comes out a bit later. Uh, but yeah, you're <laughs> you're definitely right. It's crazy the things that come on here. I, I think I mentioned before there's like a fitness app I signed up for. I don't even remember being being there. And then one that I find interesting is Park Mobile. Uh, it's a city parking app, which apparently got compromised. Wow! Thanks, guys. Jeez, thanks. Now they know where you parked. I think. I think it's also uh, just briefly coming back to the conversation we had earlier about Santa Marin and and sort of like what do you do if your um, if your pictures get used by scammers to try and blackmail you? Because a friend of mine has actually been in the situation where his pictures were leaked somewhere and then uh, uh, they they used them to Photoshop him in very embarrassing situations and then try to get money out of him. And then he phoned the police and said, well, the police say uh, told him that just from a logical point of view, there's really no reason uh, to uh, to engage with that whatsoever. It's best to not respond whatsoever because... Well, blackmail can go on uh, forever because they still have the pictures, so they'll just try and get more funds out of you. And they get so many people that actually do engage with them that if you are the odd one out that doesn't respond, um, actually nothing happens in the end. So in most cases, it's best if that sort of thing happens to you, if embarrassing pictures of you get 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 leaked and used to try and get money out of you, um, best not to engage at all. Yeah, and I think um, we didn't mention that. Obviously, I mentioned the scammer. Uh, that's sort of one threat. Uh, but there are others. Uh, there's the blackmail angle. You know, if you have, um, sometimes it's the ransomware, you know, random attack on, you know, let's say electricity provider or something like that, you know, that we won't turn on your computers until you send over X amount of currency. Uh, but there's also the, you know, domestic situations like, a, you know, an ex-spouse. Um, maybe, maybe you have a custody battle 
and they'll sell your reputation or use some of the data that they've been able to learn about you to you know log into some sites, do some things. I mean, there's all types of different uh, sort of bad actors that are in your personal circles. You know, not just randos on the internet trying to you know get a couple bucks. Uh, it's true. There there is a lot of that, and uh, there's a, there was a very successful sort of blackmail operation. It was it was sort of general, right? It was a they'll send it to every email. It's like, hey, I caught you doing something dirty. I'm sure you saw this. this I caught you so- doing something dirty on your webcam. I hacked it. And uh, if you don't want your close friends and family to see what you were doing, you'll send, you know, whatever, 10 Bitcoin or whatever it is to this address. Uh, that was obviously a random one. Um, you know, is there a chance that webcams and things can be hacked? Absolutely. In most of these circumstances, this was just kind of general, and they saw how many people would actually send crypto their way. And, you know, this is a, it, it's sort of a, an argument that's used in the uh, crypto sort of debates in political circles as, oh, you know, these things are facilitating things like money laundering and ransomware uh, when, you know, realistically they're just replacing how it's been done always in the past, you know, using dollars and bank accounts and <laughs> PayPal and everything else. So it's just a new iteration. Yeah, I once had a really nasty thing on and this is quite a while ago on on a computer and when I opened it up and started it on the a, a screen showed up. Uh the, it was a whole screen it was with the logo of the Luxembourgish police and it said uh, you've been visiting illegal websites, uh, you have now been fined and there was an actual PayPal link that you could click on to pay immediately. Uh, so, wow. I mean, I wish the Luxembourgish police force was, was as efficient that I would be able to pay with PayPal for my fines. But unfortunately, you still have to go to an office to do that. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's uh, but, but very crafty, I do have to say. And, you know, using official uh, institutions, I know that even the OTP system I was mentioning earlier, which in Luxembourg is called LuxTrust, they, they were phishing text messages sent out to people. Uh, that they have to click on this link to reactivate their OTP. So actually, people uh, were getting fished by clicking on these links. And sometimes it's hard to know because things do keep changing. You know, for instance, a, a bank like Revolut, uh, it's a digital bank, will tell you, we will never call you, right? If you get a phone call from us, it's somebody pretending to be someone else. But the traditional banks, they do call you if there's a problem, right? So people are often not used exactly to, you know, who sends me a letter? Who will give me a call? Where is it unlikely? likely that I get contacted this way. Um, and then the Nigerian scammers, uh, the Nigerian prince scam that you were mentioning earlier, that's a very interesting one. Because if you look through those emails, there's a lot of spelling mistakes that are so egregious. And I never quite knew this, um, uh, that those spelling errors are actually done on purpose. It's in order to filter out the people who would see that email and not and not like have a red flag go up because the scammers don't want to lose time on people like us that will do the first step but then never actually wire the money because they get suspicious the people gullible enough to not spot the spelling errors and see that as a problem are actually the ones that the scammers are looking for oh yeah and i usually if i get any of these i will usually try to message back and get more information and see how far the guy's willing to go i think there's a couple ted talks where the guy you know follows the Nigerian prince scammer all the way to the very James uh, James Veach for those interested is very entertaining. Uh, he did a couple of TED talks on this. Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, we we covered the password managers. Of course, something that's very important. Uh, one thing that I've been using a lot lately. I mean, you mentioned that in some of these have I been pwned reports on your email. You can see the IP address, 
and why is the IP address important? This is the internet protocol number that is attached to your particular internet at home. So uh, ostensibly, if people have this, they know what your internet service provider is. Uh, they can kind of know your general area. And, you know, there are sniffers that you can buy, these little applications to where people can figure out exactly where your computer is and where you live. And it's actually not too hard to, to figure that out. So one thing that I do recommend, and I know that you use as well, Bill, are VPNs. Uh, these are the virtual private networks, a way to mask your IP uh, from essentially anyone online. Uh, the websites that you visit or the things that you download will not be visible to your internet service provider, and they will also uh, give you some privacy while you're going on different websites. Why is that important? You know, there's a lot of people who don't like marketing, who don't like targeted advertising. Um, again, if you don't like it, there are all kinds of tools. You can use it. Uh, you can put it up. You can say that you're living in the Netherlands or you're living in, you know, Mexico or uh, the state of Montana, you know, while you're shopping on Amazon, wherever you live. And you're not going to get those ads. The computer will get very confused. And then you're also protected um, going to certain areas. The VPN space is, is really interesting, though. There's a lot of great new products out there uh, that are uh, available and, and many that are free, you know, so that I think that's a huge advantage. It's also recommended, especially if you use public Wi-Fi's. Uh, those are those are they're, they're, that's a good reason as well to use it. Also, and then the, the VPNs they also market based on some other things that people use them for. For instance, if you live in a country uh, that doesn't have certain uh, uh, content available, I know when I lived in Turkey for a year, Wikipedia was still not available. So if you wanted to use Wikipedia, you had to go and use a VPN. Uh, and then, of course, the famous example is uh, that uh, pornographic content is not available in certain countries in the world. So people use it for that uh, as well. But also streaming. Uh, if your favorite TV show is already available in the US, but you are not in the United States, then you can use a VPN. Uh, the major ones, they are compatible with Netflix and Amazon Prime and so on. So there's a lot of great use um, um, not just on, on the privacy side, but also on the on the content side. Uh, I know, yeah, uh, that I think we've talked about this before. There's a lot of differences between VPNs in terms of the pricing. Um, can Do you know why that is? Because, I mean, you can get a VPN for free and then you can one that's quite cheap and then you can get one that will cost you $100 a year. Why those price differences? Are they still selling your data? Yeah, I think for a lot of the... Uh, so a good example is something called Tunnel Bear was a VPN that was used on the Google Chrome browser. And that was a, a free VPN. You could just connect to like the country. A lot of people would use it early on for Netflix. And what a lot of people would do, um, particularly Tunnel Bear and some of these other free VPN companies, is they would just turn around and sell that to marketing companies. So they would say, hey, we have this number of people. They're connecting in, let's say, the United States, but then they're choosing the Canadian VPN. And they're doing that you know, to watch this content or to look at this website. Uh, that's why usually you want to take the step of actually purchasing a VPN. There are many affordable options out there. Um, some of the bigger ones are ExpressVPN or NordVPN, Molvad. Uh, there's also ProtonVPN if you use ProtonMail, also for your private email. And many of these are very, very affordable, and you can install them not just on your computer, but also on your browser, uh, which is just a little extension, so it's very, very easy to use. Uh, but you did mention, you know, the copyright content stuff. Because you'd be in jail. That's important. <laughs> uh, there's particularly me, someone who is, you know, living abroad and I want to watch a lot of U.S. content. Or if I want to watch a NASCAR race, um, it's it's just not possible for me to get that content where I am. So I have to go online and I have to use a VPN. 
Uh, there's no other way to do it. There's no other way to access that stuff. And you mentioned, you know, Turkey, you try to go in, you know, just read the Wikipedia on, hey, what happened here in, in 2008, 2007, you know, whatever. You can't see that at all unless you use a VPN. And there's uh, more and more reasons to do that, uh, particularly when it comes to censorship. We're seeing that with a lot of different websites, you know, particularly a lot of illiberal countries won't allow you to visit certain websites or won't allow you to access certain information. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of reasons to do that, but the, the VPNs are getting better and there's all kinds of free tools that you can use to where you can actually just have your own assigned um, sort of VPN at home with your dedicated IP. Um, so it won't be the IP of your computer. It'll be a sort of a dedicated one that you use um, not actually linked to your location. Uh, so thankfully, there are a lot of these things that we can buy. Uh, but yeah, Bill, I think that does it for Consumer Choice Radio. Hopefully, we'll have more tips, uh, privacy stuff, uh, great joint production today. Uh, let's talk about it again soon, my man. Absolutely. Happy to be here. 